Hi, I'm Marcus, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can too by visiting patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Hey, welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I'm George, and with me as always is Jason. Hey, everybody. And we are here today to talk to you about all the stuff going on in the comic book world. And one of my favorite new segments that we get to do because we got our very first one is listener email. Yay. Wow. First listener email. That's I great. I know. Isn't that cool? Like somebody actually listened to a show and then wrote us some email about the show. Can you believe that? We've only done like three episodes so far. No, that's great. I did... 10 episodes of another podcast and never received any feedback. So this is great. I know this is awesome. (laughs) Well, I want to go ahead and read it out to you. So this comes to us from Professor Allen, and he actually runs his own podcast. He's got the Relatively Geek Podcast Network, and he's got another podcast called Darkness to Light. So he's in this podcast world. So it's really cool that we have somebody who's in this same kind of thing that's reaching out to us and sending us some email. And what he said was, Jason and George, I thoroughly enjoyed the first back issue episode of Drawn and Paneled, focusing on New Teen Titans number one. You mentioned colorist Adrian Roy in that episode. I heard a fact about her a few years back, and I imagine that it's still true. When she left the company, Adrian Roy had more issue credits than any other DC person. That's how ubiquitous she was as a colorist and how long her career was. Take care and keep up the good work. I mean, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is. And thank you, Professor Allen. He's a great podcaster, so check out his shows. But thank you for that listener feedback. And we did talk about Adrian Roy on the Teen Titans episode we did that we released last week. And she did. She's worked for 15 years on the Detective Comics title and about 14 years on the Batman title, doing close to 200 issues on both of them, plus everything else she did Wow. with DC. So I couldn't find if she had the most issues, but I think she's a good candidate for doing the most coloring on issues. She touched almost every DC book from probably the Bronze Age up to the 90s. Well, so, you know what? I'm not going to argue with Professor Allen because he has the word professor in his title. That's so right. <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to go with that. And plus, he's our first listener email. So that right there buys him a ton of street cred in my book. That's right. Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Hey there, Drawn and Paneled Podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. 
And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. All right, podcast listeners, it's time for our news segments. We've got news, news, and we've got a few pieces of news before we get to the really big breaking news. Yeah, right. The kind of sad breaking news, but let's get into the other stuff. All right. George, you're a fan of the 80s, I know. Oh, yeah. Do you watch Supergirl? I do, actually. I really enjoy all the CW superhero comic book stuff. I actually like them a little bit more than a lot of the DC Universe movies. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Supergirl. Okay. Well, John Cryer, Ducky from Pretty in Pink, Uh is going to be Lex Luthor on Supergirl. What? Really? He's going to be Lex Luthor? He is. So they went with one big name actor. John Cryer is certainly a big name actor from my generation from the 80s. He's also was Two and a Half Men. He did that series forever. I don't even know. It might still be going on for all I know. But (laughs) I mean, so he's got a lot of credit to his name. But if you can afford John Cryer, why not just get Jesse Eisenberg, who did a really twisted and interesting version of Lex Luthor in the DC Universe films? And normally, I don't advocate bringing the film people to the TV shows, but since he started Lex Luthor in the DC Modern Universe, why not stick with him? He did a good job. Yeah, I enjoyed Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, but I think they want to keep the TV and the movie universes separate. And this isn't the first time that John Cryer has played a Luthor. He was Lenny Luthor in Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. Was he really? He was. He was Lex's nephew in that movie. Oh, that's just too funny. I don't even remember that, but I'll trust you on that one because you're one of my resident historian people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, so you talk about Supergirl. I want to talk a little bit about comic books themselves. Our friends from Scout Comics had a piece of interesting news come out this week. I got told about it on Friday. The press release came out on Saturday, and I was told there was going to be an embargo, but they went ahead and kind of jumped the embargo ship, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Their very first comic book that they ever produced as a company, Once Our Land by Peter Reek, okay. it's getting optioned as an animated film. Oh, awesome. I haven't heard of that one, but that sounds really cool. I've got a trade copy of it that they gave me at one of the conventions I talked to them at. And right. it's it's like two or three issues, and it's a whole different alien world setup and everything, but... From what I remember reading it, it, the guy really crafted a lot of story building and world building into that very small run of just like under 100 pages, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he said in here that, you know, he was able to figure out he always had in mind that this would end up becoming an animated film. So he's really happy about that. It got picked up by a person named Amber Ripley of Goodbye Productions. So they're developing Hmm. it as an animated film. He's looking forward to working with the people doing all the rewrites and stuff. So he's going to be intimately involved with it. It's not like they just bought the rights and they're going to do it themselves. He's going to be on set and working with them all the time. Okay. Well, that's always good. Yes. It's very exciting for Scout Comics. Okay. Now we got to talk about the giant elephant in the room. We all know that this week we sadly lost the man himself, Stan Lee. Yes, that was uh, just a shocking bit of news. I was at lunch on Monday 
and got a text from a friend letting me know that Stan had passed away. Yeah, I was actually here in my office getting some stuff ready for this podcast recording and doing a few other things when, believe it or not, my mother called me because she knows I'm such a huge comic book fan. She had just seen it on the news that evening and told me that he had passed. So we all found out in a lot of sad ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of us have been fortunate enough to see Stan Lee at some conventions and to meet him, you know, before this passing, I recently got to see him at a Q and a for a Megacon that he did. We know he had had the health issues earlier this year. So I'm not going to say this was a total surprise, but it definitely was a shock in that when you lose somebody that seminal to something you love as much as we love comic books, I don't see how it cannot be a shocking turn of events. I I agree. He was 95, but he had become such a cultural icon over the last decade that everybody knew who he was. So it was a big shock and a lot of people were saddened to hear that he passed away. Yeah, he had pretty much transcended the comic book world into pop culture. I mean, he really with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of his guest appearances. So what we've decided to do here at Drawn and Paneled, we've decided to change up our normal format. We've decided that we're going to dedicate this episode to Stan Lee. We're going to talk about what he did before he got into comics. We're going to talk about, of course, his time spent at Marvel, all the stuff that he did outside of Marvel, which there was quite a bit that he did outside of that. People don't understand that or realize that a lot. And we're even going to talk about the modern era Stan Lee transcendence into pop culture. So stick around. This is going to be a tough, bitter pill to swallow, but we love Stan Lee so much. And I can't wait for us to reminisce about the life and times of the man who created an iconic part of our childhoods. Without hearing the same story. And we here at WKGC can't help wondering if Batman's failure to rescue John and Mary Tate last night is a sign that it may finally be time for the cowled crusader to hang up his cowl. Sorry to interrupt, Gen Xers, but this show will be done before you know it, and then what are you going to do? You're going to need something to fill your ear holes with, and we're here to be that uh, ear hole filling thing. We're Blockbuster Nostalgia. We're a movie podcast that's counting down the biggest hit films of the 1980s based on how much money they made, because that'll show those dirty 80s commies. Each week we have a few drinks, or a lot, and talk about a different classic film, which inevitably leads us to rant about things like... Where Luke Skywalker kept his sex robots. What if Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon was in fact a Velociraptor? Who would win in a fight between Rocky Balboa or a Gundam? How the Winter Olympics should definitely feature rabid wolves on skis. We even cast Vin Diesel one time as a talking car in a Smoking a Bandit style rom-com. And we pitch Paul Blart Part 3, the one where he's a Thundercat. We've been at it for two years now, so we have plenty of vulgar, definitely not for kids, fun for you to enjoy. From Die Hard and Dirty Dancing to Ferris Bueller and Star Wars, we've got your favorite 80s movies covered. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, we are going to talk about the man, Stan Lee, or Stan the Man, as Kevin Smith used to call him, but it's too big of a topic for just two people. We decided to bring in a special guest today to sit in with us. We brought in Mo from Gen X Grown Up. Mo, are you there? How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm here, guys. How's it going? Hey, Mo. Cool. Yeah. So I wish it was a happier topic. Right. <laughs> right. But it's going to be, but you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I think it's going to be a fun topic to talk about. I mean, the guy just influenced 
so much of my life and what I read and what I did. So right, and I'm trying to look at this more positive, you know? Yeah, you've been a big reader. You like Mo and I have known each other for a while now, and I know Mo is super into a lot of Gen X authors and everything. So it's no surprise that that's the kind of thing you pick up on with Stan Lee about all the writing that he did. Oh, now, yeah. Jason, you did a lot of research for us, and God bless you for that for this show because <laughs> I know the basics of Stan Lee, you know, I know he worked at Marvel and the characters he created there and everything. And we know all about the movie stuff he did, but you did a lot of research about what he did really before he got into comic books. That's right. So Stan always had a love of writing and you can see it in interviews uh, throughout his life that he always wanted to write the next great American novel. And so he did a lot of writing in high school. He graduated early, too. He was a pretty bright guy, graduated at the age of 16. And really? Had very, wow. Yeah, he had various jobs around New York City. He wrote ob- obituaries. He wrote, he some wrote pro- obituaries? He did. He wrote obituaries, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that's. I kind of wish he would write mine. That'd be awesome. I know, right? You right. Wish he, like maybe that could have been a contest that he did at some point. Like Stan Lee will write your obituary if you buy ten thousand Marvel issues or something like that. That wouldn't surprise me one bit because Stan Lee had one of the best personalities when it came to working with his fans. I could see oh, him yeah. doing something like that. Oh yeah, I, I think that was one of the things that made him stand out, though, was that he really worked to connect with the people that read his stuff. Well, and you know, maybe writing those obituaries was something that helped him to develop that because you think about a obituaries, you've got to connect with whoever you're writing that obituary about. They've already passed. So you've got to reach out to family members probably who are in their time of grief. I bet that was kind of a training ground for how he interacted with people later on. Right. And also, I before we started recording, I found a interview from 1995 on the Conan O'Brien show. Uh-huh. And a lot of these obituaries that he wrote were for celebrities that he would write them before they passed away and they, they keep them in a file. So when somebody passes away, those are ready like to go. Like he pre-wrote people's obituaries? Yes. <laughs> that's that's like pre-doing the weather for next week. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that, that's also a little creepy too, right? It, like It is, but I think that's a common practice. So when somebody does pass away if it's somebody famous you've got you can go ahead and go to press with you know some kind of write-up or obituary instead of yeah, waiting I guess you've got the base yeah. there you just update the things that have happened since it was written and right you're off to the races i suppose wow yeah he also was in a uh, world war ii he was a uh, part of the u.s army i don't know if you guys right. knew that mm-hmm. he was yeah. a veteran i had heard that i, I don't that know one. what he did though what was his what do you know what his job was in the army Well, he started out, he was part of the kind of communication services, repairing telegraph. Yeah, he well, he repaired. Uh, Yeah, he repaired equipment, communication equipment, and then moved on to writing, uh, you know, training manuals and other you know documents for the military. Do a he did a little bit of cartooning, and he said that his title in the army when he was doing that was playwright. And there were only, I think a few people that had the title of playwright in the military during that time. I was going to say, that's not a title. Like I was in the air force. I'd have never guessed playwright would have been 
an operational title in any military branch. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> so he was in World War II. Obviously, you know, bless him for his service. We love veterans here at Gen X Grown Up Drawn and Panel. And I mean, he eventually got out and he had to start into comic books at some point. But when he started into comic books, he didn't start with Marvel. He started with companies that became Marvel, right? He started with Timely. He started with Timely Comics, and he started with Timely actually before his World War II service, and then took you know really? left. Okay. He left and served in World War II for a few years, and then came back. But he started basically being an assistant, proofreading, keeping the ink wells filled, erasing the pencils off of <laughs> uh, the pages so the inks could um, you know shine through, and eventually. Oh. <laughs> His first piece was a text filler for Captain America comics. So really? a text piece, yes. And that's when he used the pen name Stan Lee, because before that, his name was Stanley Liebert. Right, yeah. So he changed his name. And I'd seen some stuff that he didn't want to go with Stan Liebert because he was embarrassed because he didn't feel comic writing was serious writing. And so he decided to use the nom de plume Stan Lee so that people wouldn't know it was really him doing the comic book writing. Is that what everybody else has heard? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's what I that's what I read during the research, and it also goes back to him eventually wanting to write the next great American novel. He didn't want his comic book work to interfere with if he ever wrote this great novel, so he did change his name to Stanley. Then eventually, he legally changed his name to Stanley. Right, some years later, yeah. So timely, do they eventually they they become Atlas Comics? Is that right? Uh, correct. They became Atlas Comics. Uh, toward the late 40s, 50s. And by that time, superhero comics sort of faded out and weren't as popular anymore. They were a big thing during the World War II era and pre-World War II. Uh, So he wrote a lot of romance, horror, sci-fi, Western type books uh, during that time period for Atlas. Mo, you were around during that time period. Which of his (laughs) books did you? (laughs) Well, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, here's a funny thing, though. You know that um, when he was at Timely for a while there, okay. he was like the editor when he was 19. He, yes. he was the editor at Timely? Yeah. Wow. At 19 years old. Man, that's a whole different job market generational thing. There's no way a 19-year-old kid becomes an editor in today's modern well, times, he actually right? did, I guess, good enough job that he eventually – I mean, that he became the editor-in-chief from that. So Wow. Man. Hey, well, you know, he is one in a million. He's Stan Lee. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that. But still, that's <laughs> a heck of an accomplishment at 19 years old. That's just nuts. At that very moment, swinging his way through the canyons and rooftops of mid-Manhattan, Spider-Man thinks aloud as he approaches his rendezvous with death. Huckleberry Comics is a publisher working on creating the most innovative and unique graphic novels, one-shots, manga, tabletop games, and even eventually video games. Right now, we're working on getting ready to launch Dream State Radicals, a project which has taken 18 artists over two years to create. It's a gritty sci-fi thriller in the vein of Dusex, Blade Runner, Detroit, and so many more. It's an awesome graphic novel with tons of free concept art, and we'll be launching on Indiegogo early 2019. Follow us on Twitter, at HuckleberryDSR, like us on Facebook, or check out our website to learn more. Okay, I'm not that old as what George would make would you believe. I mean, I'm not like, you know, freaking ancient. But, you know, so my memories of Stanley all have to do with Marvel comics. Sure. Right? I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think fair most enough. of us, you know, Up until yeah. 
the internet and you know, until the internet came around, I probably thought that's all there ever was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? It was Marvel or DC um, so, and mostly Marvel. Yeah, I got you. Do you know how he got his start at Marvel? Like, what was his job there when he first when it first became Marvel? Because it evolved, right? It went timely Atlas to Marvel. Yeah, he was an editor and writer. I don't think anything had really changed. It just changed names mm. and maybe some ownership. But okay. he was he was still you know a writer editor and was tasked with reviving or creating a superhero line for Marvel because DC was ahead of the game and had revived. Oh, right. Yeah, so with, you know, the night- uh, Superman. Yeah, Superman and, and yeah. the Flash, actually, the Barry Allen Flash right. was kind of the rebirth or the Silver Age of comics in like yeah, the Yeah, one of my favorites. I love the Barry Allen Flash, yeah. He was tasked with doing this. So he created, uh, you know, flawed superheroes as opposed to DC superheroes, which were perfect, you know, more or less the ideal person. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost like gods in a way. I mean, they were like the DC heroes were all like super noble and super good. And well, and he's even talked about that. I mean, you see modern iterations of Stan Lee when he's when he's basically played a version of himself in other people's films like the Kevin Smith films or different documentaries where he's talked about his life. He felt that those were the more interesting stories. And, you know, that's got to be born out of his desire to write that great American novel that we've mentioned a couple of times. Right. Because Mm -hmm. those super godlike creatures, it's hard to relate to those guys. Mm -hmm. Right. Or ladies. I mean, when you're talking about having somebody invest and buy into a storyline emotionally, there needs to be something that they can connect to. And I'll tell you what's true. I don't know if it's, ever been done better than when Stan Lee created characters like Spider-Man for a young teenage boy audience. I mean, that character alone, it's just nuts how easy it is for that reader to relate to that character. He's this young high school kid. He's getting bullied and picked on. He's kind of a nerd. I mean, that's exactly who was it's reading like those Potter. books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he took it even further with Spider-Man. Not only was he a kid that got bullied and picked on, but once he became Spider-Man, he was, you know, became arrogant and which led to his uncle's death. So, I mean, just yeah. just totally flawed character. Just human tragedy at its greatest. I mean, you look at characters he did like the the Hulk. I mean, Oh yeah. Talk about your flawed people. Right. You know, just like (laughs) this super intelligent guy, and then he gets angry and he just lets out all this rage. I think I've seen some things where he's talked about that that was at a time where he was angry himself at a lot of things. And so that was part of his outlet. Right. And his first superhero comic for this Marvel age was Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. And those Jeez, folks did a home run right out of the gate. Yeah, <laughs> he sure did. And if you've ever read those early issues of Fantastic Four with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. those four people were at each other's throats all the time. They were mm-hmm. angry. They fought. They got it together to save the day, but just a lot of bickering. They were not and, the altogether yeah. team that no. you know we think about them as. Now, I wanted to ask Mo a question. Mo grew up in New York and. I don't know if everybody is aware, but DC and Marvel were literally across the street from each other almost in New York. Like they yeah. they were just blocks away from each other. So there was this big rivalry mode. Was there a sense of that amongst the kids who would buy comic books? Like, did you guys even realize that the guys who created oh, those I mean, books were, were there? I mean, we knew they were in New York because um, like even when I was in high school, I used to deliver stuff to that the building where Marvel was. No oh, way. Awesome. Did was, you really? 
Yeah. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. And they hear him talking the elevator and I'm like, you know, trying to hear what the next episode is going to be like. It didn't happen <laughs> often enough, but, you know, I tried. But the, uh, no, I mean, it was more like, I mean, you probably experienced too. Like when we were kids, there were definitely a couple of camps. You know, there was the DC mm-hmm. fans and then there was the Marvel fans. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and they seem just like, it just, you know, it's kind of like Yankees and Mets. You know, you can't like both. You got to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and there's some things that connected Stan in particular to his people that he did that was pretty unique in comic books. One of the things was Stan's soapbox, right? Oh, yeah. That was a way to connect to fans and kind of make every Marvel comic more of a personal, you know, welcome to the family or welcome, you know, welcome back type thing. Yeah, that's that kind of stuff is really cool. I wonder what other things did Stan Lee create at Marvel? Oh, jeez. That were seminal. <laughs> how much time we have? Right, right. Yeah, no, we, we, how many megabytes are we allowed to dedicate to this episode? Well, he did the uh, bullpen bulletin, which... Stan's soapbox was more of an op-ed piece where he talked Mm -hmm. about a topic. The bullpen bulletin was more of a chatty, here's what we've got coming on, you know, at Marvel and here's what's coming down the road or here's what's coming out sort of thing. He was somewhat responsible for the credit page. So, you know, when you read a comic, it has somewhere toward the beginning, writer, artist, inker, color, editor, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Mm -hmm. That started um, apparently around that time when he started, you know, creating these heroes in Marvel. Because if you do look at some of the Golden Age comics, it's hard to tell who did what with those books. So, you know, I don't think I ever thought about that before. That's a good point. That started becoming a thing uh, around his time. Now, Wikipedia credits him with that. I didn't dig deeper to see if if he really was the one i had never heard that before but it is around the the time that that started to populate in comic books where you saw the credits because i I believe i've looked at some comics books before and you don't really see too much of a credits page of who did what in a book man Mm. you know he was always looking out for the artist because he was one right right it's one of those things of having a person in charge who has the same work ethic and wants and desires of the people creating the stories. Yeah, he was a busy man in the 60s. He also came up with the Marvel method, which was used by other newspapers at the time. But he would co-plot a story or kind of tell his artist, this is what's going to happen in Fantastic Four. The artist would draw it out and kind of put it the way they wanted to. And then he would come back and fill in the dialogue uh, with what was going to happen in the issue. Absolutely. That was one thing that just sort of blew me away. It was like, you know, from looking, doing some little research and how hard this guy worked. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at things like like when Spider-Man, do you realize that he wrote the first 100 issues? Yes. I know Jason does because Jason may be the oh, biggest yeah. spider <laughs> geek I've ever seen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jason probably has but, that you know, fact tattooed on an arm somewhere. But, and, but that was that unusual for him, though. I mean, you look at a lot of his comics that he helped create. I mean, he wrote like the lion's share of the early years of those things. And that's just, I can't imagine how you do that. Nah. You no. Know, how do you write five or six different comic books in a month? Well, you know? And I while mean, you're, seems crazy. while you're the editor and running the ship and yeah. all that other stuff he did. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes. He did a uh, hundred issues of amazing Spider-Man. And I don't know if he did consecutively, but issue 125, I believe was his last issue of Fantastic Four. So he did a lot of Fantastic Four. Those were his two, I think, flagship, you know, babies were Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. Yeah. That and makes those sense. Were at the same time too. Right. So yeah. that's just nuts. Crazy. One of the hardest working men in the comic industry ever, I would imagine. 
In the mayor's office at City Hall, Lois tells her story to city officials, scientists, members of the FBI and CIA. We've talked about before Marvel, Marvel. Let's talk about what Stan Lee did after Marvel. Now, he was with Marvel. After Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was with Marvel a really long time, but around the 90s, he left Marvel and sort of ventured out uh, doing his own thing. Huh. Okay. that See, I wasn't into comic books at that point, so I have no knowledge of any of this. So hit me with some facts. He did Stan Lee Media, which lasted a few years. It was going to be an internet-based company, but it filed Chapter 11 around 1999-2000. Uh, what, what did they try and do at Stanley Media? Were they other comic books or what did they do? Yeah, other comic books and then media-related productions. He had moved to California at some point during the 80s to try to get some film deals going with Marvel. So he was starting oh. to do his own thing. Uh, he eventually did POW Entertainment, which same thing, what? comic books, that's okay. uh, media, that sort that of thing. That kind of sounds yeah. familiar. What were what is some of the comic books, pal? Do you know any of the comic books they did? Or none of them rang a bell. I know he did some TV stuff. Are y'all familiar with Stripperella? That sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar. It was on. I mean, Spike maybe TV. in a maybe in a teenage kind of way that sounds familiar. Right. I'm not sure, but it was on Spike TV. Spike TV. Okay. Yeah, it was an, about a superhero stripper. <laughs> I think I remember that. I I I really do. I think I remember that. Take a guess of who the voice of Stripperella was. Uh oh, geez. Elvira. No, think think about somebody that would have still been kind of popular in the '90s or early 2000s that had blonde hair. Okay, you know, that's like so vague. There's no way I'm going to guess. Pamela Anderson. No way. Pamela <laughs> Anderson was the voice of Stripperella? Yes. That's perfect. Okay. During the mid-2000s, there was the Who Wants to Be a Superhero show on Sci-Fi Channel that he yeah. was involved in. I never watched it. Did you guys check it out? Yeah, I think I watched an episode or two of that one. I, if I remember correctly, he would go around these different people and talk to them, and they, they have these different life situations that they would talk about, stuff like that. I vaguely remember. I think I only saw an episode or two. Mo, did you watch any of that one? No, I never really watched that one. Well, that's why nobody did. I guess it didn't make it very long. Yeah. <laughs> like, out of the three of us, one of us watched one episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Now, he worked with DC Comics, though, right? Didn't he? Right, he did. He did a, just a short line uh, with them. Just imagine Stan Lee creates Superman. Stan Lee creates Batman. And he did his own take oh. on what if he had created the DC characters. Oh, yeah. I was I just going to say, that sounds like a what if type series, right? Because there's a whole what if comic series that have been going on for years in different forms and versions. That's like, what if Stan Lee did this? DC asked him to do that, right? That was like one of those things they wanted to kind of get his take on what he would do. Right. If he was creating those characters now. Right. And it was around the mid to late 90s he did that you come across them every now and then in some dollar bins i haven't read any of them i don't know if you guys have checked any of them out that some of them are pretty interesting looking um no but i'm going to now because that yeah. sounds like a really cool series realizing that the pills charles has given him are drugs designed to keep his mind and senses dulled david banner puts them aside and spends his nights thinking thinking of maggie lamb and her hopes of walking Guys, we have talked an awful lot about what Stan Lee did in preparation for his life to come. We've talked about the stuff that he did at Marvel in depth. We've talked about some of the stuff that he did outside of Marvel. But 
where most people in today's society will remember Stan Lee from comes all from the film modern era kind of portion of his life. Like after he had done all the work creating the comic books and after he'd done all the editing and come up with the new ideas and the Stan soapbox and the Marvel method, and then did some work outside of that, trying to get some other things going in Hollywood. Stan Lee became an icon when Marvel signed some of its very first movie deals and started doing some of the work for things like Spider-Man and Iron Man, where he started making a lot of these cameos, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. He showed up even way back in 1989. He was one of the jurors in the trial of the Incredible Hulk with a Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrango. Really? Oh, yes. really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, one. I didn't know that one either. Man, I'll have to look that one up too. That's pretty neat. Now, he's also done some other stuff. One of the series that he mentioned, Mo, I don't know if you remember this when he mentioned it at Megacon during his Q&A. Mm-hmm. He talked about a series called Lucky Man that was a British television show. Mm, no, I don't. Yeah, it was maybe it was his because he went to two Megacons in a row, even though he was only supposed to do one. And he said he's never coming back to Florida. And then he came back into yeah. the second one. And I remember that one specifically because on stage he said, well, and I'll be back next year. And they're like, Stan, this is your last one. He says, like, I'm Stan Lee. I'll come whenever I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. yeah. And he talked about this series called Lucky Man. John turned me on to the series before Stanley mentioned it on the Q&A. So I'd already watched a few of them. It's this guy who in the storyline, he gets this bracelet attached to him one evening after like a one night stand. And this bracelet makes him lucky. But then other people around him get bad luck in return. Hmm. And he's a police detective. And he's also a gambler. Like he's had gambling problems and stuff. It's a very dark, but it's right in line with what Stanley always did. These flawed characters who you could relate to and they had these set of circumstances that were a little outlandish, but because you could relate to the character, it was easy to invest in the story and want to stick with it. And they've done a couple of seasons of that show, which for British television, that's a pretty long run if you do more than two or three seasons. Right. I have to check that out. Yeah. The thing that gets me though, I mean, kind of circling around again to what you said about creating that like flawed characters and believable characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you look at the problems that DC has with like Superman. The hardest part is finding someone him for him to fight. Sure. Because mm-hmm. he's Superman. He's almost indestructible. Right. Whereas Marvel heroes, one is they always seem to care about more like the street level stuff. Like there was a whole series of heroes that he created that were just like street level, like Daredevil. And, you know, right. Yeah. They were helping the neighborhood. They were helping that they weren't trying to save from, you know, some extraterrestrial thing. That whole, you know, you got the daredevil, the Luke Cage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think really helped bring Marvel and make it more grounded, I guess, mm-hmm. might be a good word for it. That's a perfect word. That's the DC stuff. Right. Yeah. I love how he did that kind of work. And you talk about him creating heroes. As he got a little bit later on in life, he went, he didn't just stick with just comic books or just TV shows. He started venturing out and did stuff even on YouTube. He did Stan Lee's World of Heroes, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. It's now, I looked it up this morning. It's now Marvelous TV on YouTube. A lot of interviews and trailers for stuff. But if you scroll down, 
uh, you get to a few years ago, they did some series called Stan's Rants where he would talk about something he didn't like. And they're just cute little kind of quippy <laughs> videos. They, they, they weren't angry or him yelling, but just kind of talking about how he doesn't like. Not a get off my creative lawn type of rant, but. <laughs> no, they were they were yeah. humorous. Uh, the icon looks like he's mad. Um, but when you watch it, it's just him sitting at his desk talking about something but it's just real humorous kind of cute video it's it's they're worth watching well and stan kind of had that face to me sometimes even when he was smiling or happy he almost looked a little angry anyway right i don't know what it was about it but (laughs) i've seen people you know they have the photo op pictures with him of recent years and everything and Mm -hmm. you look at him he's smiling and you could tell he's being so generous with that fan but sometimes he just looks like he's ready to cut somebody's throat. (laughs) And I wonder, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) You guys have already talked about seeing him at Megacon, but toward Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. last, I don't know, 10 years or so, and I think he did it even before that, he was always at conventions, signing autographs, taking photos, doing pictures. I, Mm -hmm. I remember I saw him in San Diego in 2007. He showed up for the Iron Man movie panel. It was a year before the film was released. He came out on stage and traded quips with Robert Downey Jr. And oh, uh, I keep, need to go see if I can find that segment. That's got to be hilarious. Oh yeah, he could keep up with him too. So it was that was really oh, fun sure. to watch. Oh, I bet he could kill Robert Downey Jr. in a verbal quip. Are you kidding me? I I'd put my money on Stan Lee any day. <laughs> yeah, in a heartbeat. Well, he didn't only do con appearances. He didn't only do comic books. He did a lot of other stuff. And one of the things about Stan Lee that I think most people who have gotten to spend even just a 30-second segment with him where you're at a photo op or getting an autograph done, he was very generous. He even created his own foundation called the Stan Lee Foundation. And that's really for uh, kids donating for people wanting to get into the arts, writing, that sort of thing. Because, I mean, he was very passionate about writing and creating. So I thought that was pretty cool because we keep alluding to it. He wanted to write the next great American novel. And I think he, while it's not a traditional novel, he really did. He created a whole universe of characters for us. So in a sense, he did create the next great American novel, but he wanted to pass that along with his foundation awarding scholarships and stuff for people wanting to write and do that sort of thing. Man, you've got me almost choked up a little bit there, Jason. I mean, he really, I guess if you want to tie it back around that way, he did kind of create the great American novel, not just in all of his characters and not just in the universes that he wrote, but even with his life. I mean, the man, he's Stan the man. There's nothing else to say. Yeah. But what does the high and mighty god of war want with a mere Amazon woman? Not a mere Amazon princess. You underestimate yourself. You are the only thing at the United Nations capable of keeping my general and my other three agents who have infiltrated the Security Council from killing the chiefs of certain key delegations. Gentlemen, time to get into that one part of our current events segment where we like to talk about the books that we're going to pick up today as we head over to our local comic book shops. But we always like to ask our special guests if they have any books that they're interested in or have talked about or read about or found out about that they want to go buy. So, Mo, anything (laughs) on your pull list? Well, I could tell you that I don't actively collect comics anymore, but my daughter does. Okay. So I would really actually like to hear what you guys recommend and I can maybe get her turned on to them. All right. Well, 
I'm picking up this week Archie number 700. Wait, Archie? As in Archie Archie? Yeah, Archie like Andrews, Archie Jughead, yes. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Issue 700. Oh, uh, my That's God. a pretty big feat. He's been around a long time. Well, yeah, almost as long as Stan Lee. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also excited for East of West, number 40 from Image Comics. It's a post-apocalyptic. Oh, good series. It's a great series. I still don't know what's going on with it. It's just weird, but fun <laughs> I don't think they do either. Stuff. No. And- Finally, Black Badge from Boom Studios. Boy Scouts uh, doing dirty work for the government. It's a fun oh, series. Oh, that's right. You've told me about that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to like, talk about it sometime. It's, it's good stuff. Boy Scouts doing wet work. There right, you go. Right, basically. <laughs> Who pretty much. That pretty sounds much. awesome. George, what are you picking up? Well, you know I've got my budget, right? I've got right. the life budget, so I have to be careful. This week, I didn't do quite as much around the house, so I'm only going to pick up four issues. <laughs> okay. You don't get your one full allowance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, if I do good work, then I get to pick up like five or six issues. If I don't do good work, I get to pick up maybe one to three issues. This week, I'm kind of in the middle. I did some things, but I didn't do some things, so I get to pick up about four books this week. What I'm going to go with first, I'm going <laughs> to grab a book that's a throwback to Generation X. Believe it or not, they're coming out with a new series called GoBots, and it's going to be issue number one is coming out today. Oh, wow. I'm looking forward to grabbing that. I don't care. Then there's <laughs> another series called Night Moves that looks really interesting. Is this about Just, the Bob Seger song? No, it's not the Bob <laughs> Seger song. <laughs> It's kind of weird. It looks like it's going to be this supernatural thriller killer kind of thing. So I'm looking in that one. Uh, Pearl is also another series that I've grabbed a few issues of. I read the first one. Issue number four is coming out. Oh, yeah. That's a great series. I've enjoyed it. It has been pretty good so far. I like that one a lot. And then finally, from Blue Juice Comics, they are coming out with Anne Bonnie number eight, which is the second issue of the continuation of the series. They did one through six right away. Mm -hmm. So that was all kind of like one storyline. And then they started a new storyline with issue number seven. So this issue number eight is the second of that new storyline. Oh, very cool. Here we are. The Durant Street with not a soul in sight. I'll just change back to Clark Kent reporter and see who answers the door. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other past episodes to drawn at genxgrownup.com. And find Finally, Drawn and Paneled is more than a podcast. You can find our other content on the Gen X Grown Up YouTube channel or our website at genxgrownup.com. Gentlemen, it's with sad, fond farewell that we say goodbye to Stan the Man Lee. He generated so much goodness and happiness in all of our lives. He kind of shaped our childhood, so to speak, with our imaginations. Unfortunately, he won't be with us in physical form anymore, but I know he's going to be with all of us in spirit. Yep. It's, it's, uh, he's, he's definitely a one of a kind. Oh, yeah. he. Well, they called him the man for a reason, but we will see him in Avengers 4 and Captain Marvel. Those cameos are still uh, coming out, so... Um, we don't have to say goodbye quite yet. Well, speaking of goodbyes, it's time for us to say goodbye from this episode of Drawn and Paneled. Jason, always glad to have you with me. Excelsior. 
<laughs> and Mo, thank you so much for joining us today as our special guest. No, it was definitely a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. We're going to be back in two weeks with our next Current Events episode. But next week, we're going to come right back with our second Back Issues episode. And this time, we're going to talk all about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one. Cowabunga. (laughs) (laughs) We will see you guys then. All right. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.